Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. to you all this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast and we're coming at you with at a little bit of a different day and time we're just mixing things up on you keeping you on your toes it's super bowl week we gave you a really cool interview earlier this week uh not because of me uh but because the guest ken anderson joined us so hopefully you took a listen watched that and enjoyed it and, of course, uh, we're back today to talk about a number of things with the Cincinnati Bengals. We small, small possibility we're going to be joined by a special guest, but uh, we will see. I'm Anthony. He's the man, the myth, the legend, John Sheeran. John, how's your week going, my friend? Week has been good. We're about 25 minutes from traditional happy hour. I don't know if happy hour is just all day on Friday because people work at home. It might as well be. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, it's like one thirty over there. The sun is out. It's, it's like I, with that power power hour over here. It's yeah. not really happy hour, you know. <laughs> but but this is this is an underrated time of the year. Not not the Super Bowl, but like the days up to the Super Bowl. I didn't even know if we we're allowed to say Super Bowl because every ad you see talks about the big game because they can't, I guess, say the Super Bowl for sponsorship purposes. I always I'm always curious about like the most creative way that. Uh, corporations can advertise about the Super Bowl without actually calling it the Super Bowl. It's always fun. The big game will never die. The big game. The big dance. The big right? game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, wasn't there a commercial recently about the, or the SNL skit or something? Uh, I think I saw recently that talked about why can't you say, why are you saying the big game? Everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, there's a, yeah, the commercials are always kind of fun too. I, I seem to miss them. So like the day after recap of all the commercials is always kind of nice because you know, if you're watching with a bunch of people or something, it's kind of like, eh, you know, right. you, you're talking, you're missing some of them. Some of them you, you pay attention to. I remember the some of the ones recently, there was like a Home Alone one that they recreated with an adult Macaulay Culkin. I thought that one was pretty cool. And then I, there's a Ferris Bueller one uh, when he was like mm. a dad or something. Uh, that one was, was pretty cool, too. So I, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them. I mean, there's some classics for sure. Uh, it's Usher that's doing the 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 halftime show right that should probably be pretty entertaining i would think so paying attention to that and of course oh yeah there's two teams that are playing uh I, john did you i i know i we missed you when we did the the ken anderson interview you did great um, by the way it was an awesome interview. oh i i thank you i appreciate that I, I i it's not the same without you i like our i know our repartee back and forth but um hey we made that happen anyway but uh but it, it, if you watch or listen to it 
I thought it was funny that Ken was like, uh, I don't really know who to root for. I can't root for the 49ers because of his history with that team in the Super Bowl. I thought that was pretty entertaining. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you've got a dog in the fight on that one, but eh. Eh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a good game. It's the most generic answer possible, but I mean, it's, it's hard to see one team blowing Should the be. other team out. Um, I, I guess if I had to pick a side, it's probably the Chiefs. Um, on one hand, I like seeing greatness. Patrick Mahomes is the personification of that at the moment. Um, I, obviously, for Bengals purposes, you know, seeing the 49ers lose in the Super Bowl is never, never a bad thing. Even if you know people like me weren't alive to see those other Super Bowls, but also the, the chaos that would ensue about people who believe the NFL is rigged. Um, that would be kind of fun too when Taylor Swift is on the field for the celebration and everything oh, like that. Of course, of course, yeah, <laughs> she will be. Should the Chiefs win, I'm sure she will be highlighted prominently but that being said let's talk some Bengals. we're not talking chiefs we're not talking 49ers because uh this is a Bengals podcast and we're talking about some things happening with the team going forward i know this has been kind of a tough week in a lot of respects we'll get to that in a second some comments from some of our favorites already kind of showing that but the Bengals made some announcements and this is obviously in the wake of the brian callahan departure to tennessee so obviously we know that Dan Pitcher now is the offensive coordinator, a guy that has been on the staff and is very familiar, worked with Joe Burrow. So I think there's a pretty high level of confidence that that baton will be passed somewhat seamlessly, if not very seamlessly, from uh, Callahan to, to Pitcher. But there are a couple of others, John, that the Bengals announced this week. Now within, they promoted Brad Cragthorpe, who has been with the organization since Zach Taylor came on board back in 2019. Uh, Jordan Kovacs, uh, a guy they had in-house as well. But they also, and probably the most intriguing of the hires, brought in Justin Riscotti from the Minnesota Vikings. So that's an interesting development there. Talk about the internal guys first, and then we can kind of go back and forth on the the new guy coming in. Yes, I mean, I think Cragthorpe is just taking that pretty standard, I guess, elevation route um, in terms of just being on the offensive side of the ball. He was an offensive analyst uh, for LSU during Burrow and Chase's first year down there. And like you said, he joined the Bengals in 2019. Um, Just like Zach Taylor, he was an assistant receivers coach before he started working as an assistant quarterbacks coach. So, again, like he's got experience working with multiple positions on the offensive side of the ball. But this past year, yeah, he was the assistant to Dan Pitcher in the quarterback room, coaching those guys and obviously being involved with both Burrow and Jake Browning. So it just made the most sense to just elevate him to take over for Pitcher. And again, like the, these guys who are in their you know mid to young 30s, they're all kind of – he's, he's just kind of fitting in that same mold of like he's probably where he should be in terms of his coaching career. And I think he was with, an, he was with a couple other college spots before LSU, but people like to highlight – the LSU for the Burrow connection. So, of course, you know, surround Joe Burrow with as many people who know him as much as possible and are comfortable with him. So that's obviously good. Jordan Kovacs was a former safety with the Miami Dolphins. I think he played safety while Lou Narumo and Zach Taylor were both there for yep. Miami. Yep. And then he went uh, to, like, Michigan. He was a grad uh, assistant for uh, John Harbaugh – or, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me. And then he, he became an assistant for the Bengals. He's had a couple of positions, but most recently was – the assistant linebackers coach. So the Bengals had two second. They've had two secondary coaches, um, one for cornerbacks, one for safeties, and obviously the safeties coach Robert Livingston 
got hired by Deion Sanders to run the Colorado defense. So I think, again, very natural progression for Kovacs. Even if there wasn't like an assistant safeties coach, the assistant linebackers coach, I think, deals with very similar responsibilities, obviously playing in a similar part of the field. And, and again, being a former safety, it makes the most sense for him to kind of take a, take that over. And, and the Bengals, believe it or not, blocked Kovacs from interviewing with the Los Angeles Chargers, who's Los Angeles Chargers coach now. Of course, it's Jim Harbaugh. So there was a yeah. connection with Kovacs, yeah. um, potentially yeah. a reunion there. Obviously, Harbaugh is getting everyone that he knows in the coaching realm to join that staff. Mm-hmm. And Kovacs would have been on his list for a position I would assume is similar to safety's coach. But the Bengals, I think, Anthony, is the biggest thing here is they prioritized him at that position because of just how important development is for their safeties, Dax Hill and Jordan Battle. There's going to be probably more turnover there. Getting the guy that they know can coach the position and has experience with the position and that they've had in the building for many years, I think is the reason why they decided to you know, make sure that Kovacs sticks around. That Yeah, and we'll get to Riscotti in just a second. But yes, and this is... So this is very much Bengals' MO. And really, since they've had a pretty high level of success since the mid-teens to now when they have kind of cycled through different coordinators and different different play uh different staff members on on their coaching staff and it has been a promote from within type of culture and when you have a successful team you have successful position groups as the Bengals have had largely in this period of time that I mentioned that's where you kind of say let's just kind of keep what we're doing and the approach being the same the, the, the developmental styles being the same. And I think in the in the case of Kovacs, it's it's not only telling that the Bengals blocked him from being interviewed, but it's telling to me, John, that the Bengals are prioritizing the development of the safeties. They liked what they saw out of Jordan Battle. I think a lot of people liked what they saw out of Jordan Battle towards the end of the season there. They liked what they saw there. They realized that, man, this was a big, big change from losing both Von Bell, Jesse Bates last year. And then, you know, there was a dip in production across the board there, but a big year for the safeties this year. Dax Hill had some nice moments, had some not so nice moments this year, had his hands on a lot of passes that you felt like, man, you could have had at least probably two or three more interceptions this year, potentially. Uh, I always think back to that Jaguars game where he was like diving for one in the end zone. It popped up and it became a touchdown pass somehow. But I, there are a couple of those in Dax Hill's year last year. And you just kind of hope like, hey, you know what Livingston did. You still have Anarumo in the building. Let's kind of keep the messaging the same. Let's work on the development there. And now you have, yes, you lose your your secondary coach, but you bring a guy in who has already been working with these guys. So let's kind of continue to build upon what what was built, especially towards the latter part of the year with a guy like Battle. Pretty much, yeah. And I, I think looking back at maybe like right after the season ended at potential coaching changes, um, I think many people thought that maybe a couple of guys should probably exit and, and get some like fresh thoughts there. Livingston came to mind to me just because he had been with the team since 2012. Like I think he was like the longest tenured assistant aside from Darren Simmons, one of seven holdovers from the Marvin Lewis era. And I think just the fact that he's been around for a long time coupled with underwhelming production from the position that he coached i think it made sense to get like a new face in there but obviously if you're luna rumo and there's just so much writing on this season with how 2023 ended up and specifically in the part of the defense that you kind of specialize i think there's a lot of pressure on him to get that right 
So I think it's a good mix of a new voice in the room, but someone who's still familiar with the scheme, familiar with Inarumo's um, coaching and style and, and all that stuff. So I think it's a good mix of something new with keeping some sense of continuity for sure. So I love the the Riscotti hire from the standpoint of seemingly adding a new type of coach or a new staff member in a way to this staff. And John, if you look back to where trace back to Zach Taylor coming to the Cincinnati Bengals, this is where he came from with the Los Angeles Rams in the McVay system, run game coordinator, passing game coordinator, Waldron who interviewed for this job with him was the passing game coordinator uh, for, for the Rams. And then, you know, uh, Taylor was on staff with McVeigh and ended up getting this job here. So he is taking a page right out of that book, bolstering this staff. Maybe, maybe it's not so ahead of the curve, but it is, you know, kind of doing what teams are doing at this point where they have specific coaches assigned to specific facets of the game. And that's their title. So now you have Frank Pollock, the run game coordinator. Now you have Riscotti, the passing game coordinator, and you continue to have likely this brain trust of an offensive system with Taylor pitcher and, 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 you know, Craig Thorpe and others now that are, that are all pitching in here. A lot of things going into this. Um, my initial thought is Callahan leaving. It, it may not be as simple as just damn pitcher take over for Callahan crack, right. take over for, for pitcher. I think because Callahan had been here for five years, um, him, him leaving, it creates more turnover than maybe we kind of expected which makes sense to bring in someone else to kind of take the load off of both pitcher and Craig Thorpe and obviously Zach Taylor as well. So I think getting another voice in there with, you know, concerted responsibilities, I think will make everyone else's job easier, but also specifically with what Riscati has been accustomed to doing and his background and everything like that, him coming from the Vikings as an assistant offensive line coach is very interesting. They have a very athletic offensive line. So he knows what it's like, what it, he knows what it's supposed to look like as opposed to maybe what the Bengals offensive line looks like. They've gotten a lot of production out of those guys. Like Ezra Cleveland was just a, a midseason or like a, a late training camp ad. I'm forgetting which one of the two, but like he came from the Jags and like he fit in really perfectly. He was a really good athlete, fit in that system well. They've seen great results from Christian Darisaw. They've gotten uh, development out of Garrett Bradbury. Brian O'Neill's one of the better right tackles. Like they've gotten a lot of development out of their offensive linemen and they've, know, they've known how to prioritize it. And I think having someone who is experienced with seeing what it should look like and how this should kind of work. I think getting another set of eyes and ears and an opinion on the offensive line play is always good. And specifically with the passing game and just what his job is going to detail coming from the Viking system, where it was a lot of under center, like Kevin O'Connell, the offensive or the head coach, he comes from the Ram system as well, where they did a lot of under center play actions, uh, rollouts and everything. A lot of crossing routes. I think a lot of stuff that the Bengals have been wanting to do, over the past year, but they couldn't with, with Joe Burrow being injured and not able to drop from under center. I think having someone else who's experienced in that realm that can further and you know better de- uh, implement some of these schemes and these these concepts, I think that's a positive in, in and of itself. So it's all these things kind of coming together. And then you just figure they created a new position just to bring him in. Like they didn't just hire him as the assistant quarterbacks coach, which would have taken over for a Kragthor was. They gave him a new position, which either means there's not going to be an assistant quarterbacks coach or that's just the that's just the extra uh, spot role that they added to this coaching staff, which means that they prioritized him and they created a new spot just to bring him in. And I think it is going to yield positive results. 
I was listening to most everything you just said. I don't know if you saw me looking weird. Uh, it, there might be an apocalypse happening on the West uh -huh. Coast here. We've had about six straight days of rain. And I think, unless something weird is happening in my house, I think we just had a slight earthquake uh, that was that just occurred. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, hey, I'm okay. Nothing fell. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not stuff. hearing anybody scream. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll have, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe there was something else that was happening here, but. I've, I've sat through a few of those. Kind of felt like a, there was a small one there. Anyway, regardless, I, I agree with especially the, the first portion of what you said with the development of offensive line players, talent, the athleticism on that. But the other, I'm just going to piggyback on that, John, and look at the quarterback play and what the Vikings were able to do with all of the quarterbacks they had to play last year. Cousins was off to a, an immense start last year before he got hurt. Um, he was, I, I, you know, last year he was playing really well. And then, you know, you look at, you look at the trade for Dobbs, right. For a month, you're going, who is this guy? Where has he been? Right. And then of course it kind of fell apart. Then they moved to Mullins and Mullins had, despite two really weird turnovers in the red zone for the Bengals. I mean, he kind of like put together some nice moments there as well. So, I mean, you, you kind of look at it. Yeah. It's, it's about the offensive line, but they got success out of the passing game last year with three different quarterbacks. And yeah, they had to kind of pull the hook on, you know, here and there on them, but they did a lot better in that regard after cousins went down with an injury than I think a lot of people would have imagined. And they were in it at the end as well. That's why that game between the Bengals and the Vikings at the end with Mullins under center was such an important one for both teams. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of what gets me jazzed a little bit about this is not only the offensive line aspect, but you, you look at the quarterback play that was on display last year, how much he had a hand in that directly to be determined. I, I would assume he pitched into some capacity there. And then, I mean, you've got Joe Burrow here coming. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there's some really high potential for even more improvement this year for the Bengals in the passing game. I think the fact that I mean, <laughs> I was I was talking to our friends uh, Daddyo and Hoji um, the other day, and How Daddy are they? O, they're, they're all right. I think we didn't do a show this week, but we talked a little bit behind the scenes. You know, they're doing getting some cosmetic surgery or something like that. And <laughs> Daddyo had asked about the the idea of the Bengals hiring a pass game coordinator. I'm like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, considering. Uh, like you said, like the Rams at, at that time, I don't think had an offensive coordinator. They just had two. Uh, a pass game and a run game coordinator with, with McVay calling the plays. And I figure that, you know, Zach having an offensive coordinator here in Cincinnati would, I, I guess not, he wouldn't really need a passing coordinator. So I was surprised at the idea of them hiring a guy like that in the first place. But I think it's a sign that, yeah, like I, there, there's just maybe too much change with the, with the departure of Callahan and just the, the need for an extra um, pair of eyes and ears to, to kind of help out the thing, help out the process and, keep things kind of smooth and going and getting someone who's familiar with succeeding at some of the concepts that the Bengals want to succeed in. It makes all the sense in the world. And I just wanted to amend something that for whatever reason, I thought Ezra Cleveland started in Jacksonville and went to Minnesota. It was actually the opposite. I think the Jags traded for him or like picked him up in the middle of the season, but he was significantly worse with the Jags compared to the Vikings. And I don't know if that's just a Jacksonville problem, but again, the scheme has been working with Minnesota. It definitely hasn't been their offense. That's been the problem there and getting someone from that system. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, good call. Um, and you know, who knows what this does to the under the under center stuff, right? I mean, it, how that how that works. I know Zach Taylor at the end of the year said, "Look, Joe Burrow doesn't have that calf injury. We were going to run more of that stuff early in the year anyway." But 
maybe this just helps further that, you know, kick that can down the road a little bit, so to speak, and uh, you know, uh, further develop that. I, more like you said, with with a at least a hand in a track record of success coming over here, adding to an element that the coaching staff hasn't had. And really, based on there's a lot of things to like in the passing game, particularly when you saw Browning come in and take over the stretch in the middle of the season with Joe Burrow winning games against high quality teams. But there there are elements that need to be improved. And if he can come in here and, and kind of galvanize some things, nothing wrong with that. But the Bengals announced three new coaching uh, positions or elevations, so to speak, the two internal and the one external coming in and uh, helping them out there. So that is the latest on the Bengals, and we think that uh, those are probably some natural fits. There are some risk involved, and we've seen – we talked about some of those coordinators that left in the past and the Bengals brought back in. There were some some good moments. I mean, you look from Zimmer to Gunther. Gunther kind of kept the ship afloat but didn't have as high-performing defenses as, as Zimmer. So you kind of hope that at a minimum that's kind of where, where the bar is, if not – Let's just keep this thing rolling where it's been over the past couple of years. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. But unfortunately, we had this conversation with Ken Anderson, and we had to bring up, and I, I hate bringing it up with him, about the snubbing of the Hall of Fame. There's still, that's still the case. However, if you did listen, go back and listen to that interview. He did break that he was now inducted into the quarter, National Quarterback Hall of Fame, which is kind of cool, and yet another kind of star on his resume that hopefully paves paves the path to him getting into Canton as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So congratulations to him. Still so close to the, to the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Unfortunately... We talked a little bit about Willie Anderson. He feels that he is deserving and, uh, you know, of, of Canton and, you know, kind of gets penalized for the teams that he was on in the mid to late 90s. Unfortunately, Willie Anderson did not make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A little, look, it's not so much that Anderson was snubbed, and he even said so on his own Twitter account. It's not so much that I was snubbed. He's entering in, like, with a silly group of players and, and skill position players and all kinds of things guys that are are in the queue to be recognized. And, of course, just because he was already overlooked for his time in the Bengals, that's kind of the unfortunate case here. I think we all think that he is deserving. We all are very, very happy for him to be in the finalist running. Um, and, you know, he was in that top eight, I think. Our friend Bengal Jim noted that. So congratulations to him. Let's hope that the next year or two paves the way for him to get into Canton because he definitely deserves it. With, with this year being two out of the 15 finalists were offensive linemen, there had been, I think, offensive linemen inducted in each of the last five years. Baselli was one. Joe Thomas was the first bout last year. And those were the two years where Willie was a part of the final 15. So this this year you have no offensive linemen going in. And the only other one that was, um, was in the final 15 was Jari Evans. It was like his second year of eligibility. Maybe his first year of eligibility. I think that was a big reason why 
a lot of people thought that this was going to be the time. Um, as the announcement was getting closer and closer, you, you heard that Jared Allen wasn't getting in or Antonio Gates, who may have been the biggest snub out of all of them, he wasn't getting in. So those are two very clear candidates that weren't getting in. They're thinking, okay, this, this does feel like the year. And I guess it was really close to it if he was indeed in that top eight. It still sucks, though. I, I just, I mean, he had more years of eligibility than I think only a handful of other guys in this top 15. And you can make the argument that he was the best player at his position compared to a lot of these guys at their own respective positions. And it's, I mean, it's the same old story, right? It's just, it's whether it's bias or ignorance, whatever the case may be, the idea of two straight years with the Bengals and Ducky, I don't know if that rubbed people the wrong way in the committee. I, 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 I try to be objective about most things, but because we know that the process here is very much flawed and ran by people who probably shouldn't be doing this, it kind of does irk me the wrong way. It is nice to hear that there was progress there. I just get a little apathetic when I hear, oh, next year's the year. You know, it's, you know, continuing to gain momentum. Maybe, maybe. I just know that this this franchise only has two Hall of Famers in however many years of the Hall of Fame has, has existed. It's always going to be an uphill battle. And, you know, it's going to be guys who are first year eligible next year. And it's, it's going to be another another hard battle. But I guess being a finalist back to back to back years is cool too. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, I just in in one in one respect, you feel really bad for these guys, especially a guy like Ken Anderson who's been waiting for so long for his rightful place. But on the other hand, I mean, you you also applaud the great career that they had. I mean, going back to Willie Anderson, it's not we we made it we made arguments a while ago for Corey Dillon to be a Hall of Fame player, to be a Ring of Honor player for the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, at the time in his career, he set two of the highest single-game rushing records ever as a rookie and, and later as a veteran. They've since been broken, but it, he set both of those records at a time in his career. Who was a major part of that? Willie Anderson. So uh, as a guy who – I mean, he had a big part in those two historic games – the Bengals were super one-dimensional for a lot of those years, particularly in the very early 2000s when you've had Scott, you're cycling through Scott Mitchell and Akili Smith and a little bit of John Kitna before the John Kitna of 2003 arrived. So, I mean, you're, you're cycling through these guys and you are super one-dimensional as an offense and it's basically all Corey Dillon. So I, I think we've all kind of taken up this mantle that Corey Dillon has a Hall of Fame argument he has a ring of honor argument with the Bengals for sure. And so who is the big, a big reason behind that? Yeah, it's Dylan himself and his his own ability, but a guy like Willie Anderson who blocked for him. And then, oh, by the way, guess who followed him? Rudy Johnson with his great campaigns after that. I mean, you look at it and, and who was the staple of those offenses? It wasn't the quarterback, right? They, they went through a couple of different wide receivers that ended up having some some great careers with the Bengals, especially towards the mid-2000s, et cetera. But Willie Anderson was the staple for this for this team and a lot of those performances, and whether it's single game or career or single season, et cetera. He was, he was the guy who was there and doing the work. And credit to Willie for taking the high road again. For sure. Someone who, who didn't want to drag down um, people who did get in. You know, it, it's it's... It's obviously not tasteful when people who when candidates do that, but no one cares when I do it, so I'm going to say it. Devin Hester <laughs> shouldn't be before Willie Anderson. Like, come on, 
Devin Hester. I love watching Devin Hester. I think he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Not before Willie Anderson. Not this yeah. is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm in agreement with you on that one. And I, I, Devin Hester, really in a lot of ways changed uh, some elements of the game of football, especially at the professional level. But yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think he is deserving. I think a guy like Willie Anderson deserves his spot before him. But he wasn't the only guy, unfortunately. That was snubbed. And one, you know, I, I think you would have felt like he had a really good argument for it. I don't think he was going to be the front runner. And that's Trey Hendrickson as the defensive player of the year. I think a lot of people felt like that was going to go to TJ Watt and it went to Miles Garrett. So there's a little good news and bad news here. Number one, the AFC North is getting a lot of recognition and there are three insanely talented edge defenders and ru- edge rushers in this division. You can make an argument, and probably the strongest one you would think maybe for TJ Watt, who I don't know if he did or didn't really complain on Twitter. I saw one tweet that was kind of a veiled, I don't know, uh, hours before <laughs> Trey Hendrickson. You didn't see make a peep about anything, but he hit, he was, he has been nothing but a monster since joining Cincinnati, and credit to him. And then, of course, Miles Garrett, who I think we all know pretty well at this point from the Bengals side of the fence. So, Kudos to the AFC North putting together just monster edge defenders and ability to get to the passer with with these three guys. But it's also bad news for the Bengals because it just reminds you, man, there's Miles Garrett and there's TJ Watt to contend with twice a year, every year. Yikes. I think it's similar to the MVP where it's like it always goes to the quarterback who's on the best team. And I think Lamar had obviously a really good case this year. That's why he was voted MVP with defensive player of the year. Miles Garrett is the best player on the best defense. Like the Browns defense was phenomenal yeah. this year. That's why um blank on his name. Jim Schwartz was the assistant coach of the year. Kevin Stefanski was the coach of the year. Joe Flacco was the comeback player of the year. A lot of mm-hmm. awards for getting smacked by Houston in the wild card round. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of thought so. And then of course, oh, our guy Teddy K. Uh we really, really, and I know Bengals fans lobbied hard and rightfully so. I have a soft spot for this, the work that he does. I have a soft spot for the work that Ken Anderson does through the Ken Anderson Alliance, helping adults with developmental de- disabilities. And I thought it was a really cool synergy that it, that was created between the two of them. Really, it, it, and I, he kind of touched on it in our interview a little bit. He didn't outright say it, but the reason why they were doing some of the work together, Ted Karras and Ken Anderson, is because they had a similar population of people that they were helping but they were doing different things to help each of those populations. And they're like, well, you do this part. We'll do this part. Boom. Let's, let's make this kind of a, a, a joint effort in a lot of different ways. Kudos to, of course, the Ken Anderson Alliance and what he does, but Ted Karras and how he has really wrapped his arms around the city of Cincinnati and the Cincy hat project and everything. I, I thought he was deserving. And yet here you go. Miles Garrett, the Cleveland Browns, wins defensive player of the year a pittsburgh steeler wins man of the year and teddy k oh, he didn't he didn't get there but uh still amazing work what he has done i, I thought he was maybe the shoe in to win it but maybe i was just wearing orange colored glasses it's always uh <clears throat> it's, it's always a little tricky arguing who who should who, who is more generous and more noble with the community you know like i, I, I know Cameron. i know one of, I mean, personally, one of my favorite Steelers. I think he's a phenomenal person. He's always been a great player. But yeah, I think anyone who's worth nominate, nom, being nominated for that award is obviously a really cool dude. And would have been cool if both, you know, 
Ken Anderson was the, I guess he was the man of the year before it was the Walter Payton man of the year back in like 75. Yeah. So wouldn't be cool if those two share the award, but maybe next year. I will say, and th- props to Ken Anderson for bringing this up in our interview and reminding us about it, whether it was the Walter Payton man of the year or just the man of the year at this point. He said it was the Dodge man of the year and he won a Dodge Charger, I think. Or challenger when he won it. Uh, there so you go. pretty cool story. Hot rod that that Kane Anderson won for winning that award at the time. But re- he he said this this there was a long track record in the city of Cincinnati and with Cincinnati Bengals players of winning the Man of the Year award. He won it. Boomer won it. Anthony Munoz won it. And so I, this is not something that you know. It's not like the Bengals have never won this award. There is amazing work being done by a lot of different Bengals players, past and present. Teddy K, definitely no exception on that front. And kudos to him for being what I think was one of the uh, – he had to be on the very short list, I think, for all the work that he did and the fan support that he received from that. So kudos to him. Congratulations begrudgingly to Kim Hayward for winning the award. And, uh, yeah, so Bengals didn't didn't have the best week in terms of awards and accolades. Oh, well, it is what it is. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're going to be here for just a little bit longer. We've got a free agent profile to get to. I don't think our surprise guest is going to make it, unfortunately. We'll kind of tell you a little bit about that maybe towards the end of the show there when we drop the mic. But uh, we're going to get to a free agent profile in just a second. Before we do, I want to remind folks that you can get this show on your favorite audio streamer through the Cincy Jungle podcast channel whether that's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones, we are there. You have to subscribe to that Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Give it a rating, hopefully a five-star one. That helps us out if you like what we're doing as a channel and as uh, you know individual episodes. We appreciate that. And, of course, uh, if you like the video side of things, you got to give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page with about 80 plus 90,000, I don't know, something like that. Go give a thumbs up there. We stream live there as well. And for all of the content in video format from this particular show, we also house the three and out show on our YouTube channel. You can go subscribe to the Orange and Black Insider icon underneath the Cincy Jungle logo there on John's side of the screen, bottom corner. Click that. Click the subscribe button. Click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. And of course, give us a thumbs up for the show the video that helps us with uh, all kinds of different things visibility and we love to we love to feel your pats on our back uh, as we as we do our shows here but i'm going to let john take the stage here for our uh, free agent profile you and i'll i'll put this up the the profile you put up on a to z sports um, about this particular player and an interesting one based on the coaching situation we just talked about so it fits in nicely for a couple of different reasons and a guy that again you would take from a team that you are competing hard against and your gain would be their loss well i mean there's the intro right there the last time the Bengals were a last place team in the afc north was 2020 entering the 2021 offseason how do they get the edge back in the area that they needed the most right how did they solidify a weakness back into a strength while also hurting a team that they wouldn't mind hurting. I think Geno Stone, the safety from the Ravens, makes perfect sense here. And honestly, would rem- would be reminiscent of the Bengals taking Mike Hilton from the Pittsburgh Steelers in a lot of ways, in a lot of similar ways. Um, I, could, I could give you 
like PFF stats. I could tell you that he graded out at 85.3 in coverage this year. I could tell you that he led the NFL in interceptions with seven even more than Jesse Bates. I could tell you all that stuff, but I think with Geno with Gino Stone and going from the Ravens to the Bengals, you have to you have to continue to look at the factors and the attributes that the Bengals would look at in order to sign a guy to a multi-year deal. Is he young? Is he ascending? Is he looking for a second contract? And by ascending, I mean, is he about to start playing his best football or did he just start playing his best football? Therefore, you're getting the most value out of him. And does he have experience in the biggest games? Does he have experience playing on bright on against really good teams and for really good teams and deep into the postseason? Gino Stone is not even 25 years old. He's going to turn 25 in April. This is his fourth year this past season with the Ravens, and it was the first time he played over 1,000 snaps. He locked, I think, exactly 1,000 snaps within the Ravens' defense, primarily because he had some injuries, I believe, to Marcus Williams there at safety, which is why I think he led the Ravens in snaps played for safeties. But he had like 1,000 snaps going into this season, then he had 1,000 this year, and the Ravens' defense was better for it. They just had him back there at free safety, either patrolling the middle of the field or maybe some of those half coverages. And again, we can go into the data, we can go into all that stuff, but Anthony, there's a video in this article that I would love uh, for you to play for the audience. I believe it's like a little bit down towards the end, and it features a nice breakdown of a play that, again, when the Bengals are going through these these pro scouting um, profiles, they're going to try to find anything that they can in terms of like, okay, how is this guy going to fit in? Is there an example of anything? I think it's a little bit further up, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if the tweet loaded on your screen. I can share my screen if, if that would help. Um, yeah, it's a little bit up there. Okay. Right. Is it right up here? Yes. Is it from Josh? No, no, no. It's it, it's a it's a tweet. It might, not, it might not be loading on, on your screen. Anyways, I'll, I'll just spoil it. So it, it is Geno Stone's okay. interception against we'll Joe Burrow. Pull that up here. Give me a sec. Or if here, I can I can share my screen. So let's, oh, let's have Ben Solak take it away here. Little play. Bengals, Ravens. Through receiver set for the Bengals in the high red zone. Corner route from Tyler Boyd. Under from Trent Irwin. All this is to open T. Higgins. Number two receiver. Runs an in-breaking route, but it's a trick. And he goes vertical. This is a beater. It's a rule breaker designed to screw with the Ravens. The Bengals know when the Ravens get a three receiver set, they want to play match coverage, right? Four defenders up here with a certain set of rules. In the bottom, two receivers, three covered defenders. You run a different set of rules, right? Match coverage. The rule they're attacking is Roquan Smith. If there's a in breaking route from this number three receiver, Roquan's got it. But if there's a, a vertical route from this number three receiver, Roquan can give him away to Kyle Hamilton if that number two receiver runs the in breaking route. Hand that number three receiver off, fall off, and now defend that in breaking route from number two. So the Bengals say, hey, watch this. Tyler Boyd's going vertical. Oh, T. Higgins in breaking route. And now Roquan's, he's there, he's ready for that throw. And T. Higgins climbs upfield. Roquan's never getting back on his horse and getting to this ball. This is a touchdown every day of the week, if not for Geno Stone. The weak side safety coming from the back side. How did he get there? Here's Geno Stone's rules. This isolated receiver, three, three over here, one down here, he's usually really good. It's Jamar Chase. And so if he runs an inside release, then Geno Stone can double him with this corner, right? Any in-breaking route, slant, curl, you're on the dig, you're on the post, Geno's going to be there to help out. But if it's an outside release, 
that corner has the sideline to help him out. And so now Gino can ignore Jamar Chase, leave him in single coverage, and poach. He can go poach the middle of the field. And if there's any routes working that middle of the field, he can go be a defender to them. Now, this is not an outside release. Jamar Chase runs inside. And it's funny because Gino Stone got asked about the interception after yeah, the game. Outside release, you know, and then uh, after that, I just, went back, I just went back to the middle. I seen Joe said he ran an outside release, which... Did not happen, but it's fine because it's still a really, really, really good play. It's a good play because he's watching Joe Burrow's eyes. And Joe Burrow barely glances to that, that weak side before setting to the front side. So you know he's not throwing the slant. He'd have to look at it. And if he's throwing the dig or the post, you're still going to be there for it, right? And so he's just going to let Burrow's eyes take him in the middle of the field. This is where the action is. And I know that I've still got single coverage down here, so I'm okay to freelance this a little bit. And then Burrow uncorks that thing right into Stone's waiting arms. Wonderful play. Don't really have anything more to add on to that. I think with with Gino, it, it's not it's not only just the fact that he's been developing within the Ravens system for a while and finally got his chance to really shine. I, I think the Bengals have been a, a firsthand witness to see some of that development. And what better way to improve your secondary by also making the Ravens secondary worse? Now the factors also come into play here with the Ravens losing their defensive coordinator and losing their secondary coaches. Turnover obviously on that side of the ball. You have to pay, you have to consider the fact that Marcus Williams is already getting paid a lot. Kyle Hamilton is your is their first round pick from a couple years ago. He's due for a paycheck in about a year's time, and you're still wanting to obviously play those guys as much as possible. Geno Stone was great in that rotation, but the fact that the Ravens don't have a lot of cap room, I think they're like at seven million right now in space. Mm-hmm. The fact that they already have investment in there, I think it leads to and and again like a new coach coming in. I think it leads to a guy like Geno Stone looking for opportunities elsewhere, which actually ends up being having him available here. And our guys at A to Z, Josh and uh, um, Quinn, who you know do all, all of our projections of our contract projections, they have him at about eight and a half million a year for over three years, and that's pretty much when you count for like cap inflation because the cap was like 182 million when Mike Hilton signed. Now it's like going to be 240 million. I think factoring in inflation is basically the same deal in terms of average money per year or average annual value. It it just feels like the exact same type of deal that the Bengals got from Mike Hilton to basically fill a very similar role and to to steal away from a rival. It just makes it makes almost too much sense for this to not happen, honestly. So explain a little bit how you see him fitting in because he, you know, he's kind of like you mentioned in a rotation with the Ravens right now, right? He's kind of doing a couple of different things with them. How would you see him? in the Bengals system fitting in what, what strengths and, you know, scheme, what, what do you, what do you see from him? I mean, obviously that was a great breakdown from, from Ben Solak there uh, about the play, but how else would you see him fitting? I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Nick Scott, you've got Mike Hill and I, you know, there's all these players on the, on the defense where you go, okay, let's get Geno Stone. What do we do with him once he's here? Right. So the Bengals need more than anything, someone they can trust, to patrol deep zones at safety because right now it's not Dax Hill and it wasn't really Jordan's battles strength coming out of college anyways they really needed Nick Scott to do that it's the whole reason why they brought him in so they can allow Dax to you know kind of stay close to the line of scrimmage and maybe ease him into more of those deep responsibilities as soon as Nick Scott just proved to be a liability they had to force Dax back there probably before he was ready they were doing too much with him they were moving him around too much and that's why I think he had as inconsistent of a year as he did I don't think that Luna Inaruma wants to enter this year with a lot of pressure to get that unit right without someone that is capable and is proven in that role as a deep safety, whether either you're a post safety 
or you're just responsible for just half half the field, which I think Dax can still do on a certain basis, and I think Jordan Battle can do as well. So I know there's going to be some conflict in terms of like, oh, if you if you're having three safeties, you know, like one of them is not going to be on the field, or one of them is going to lack development time and everything like that. And if the worst thing that happens is either Dax or Battle play like 100 or 200 fewer snaps than they would without a guy like Geno Stone in there. I think that's the price you pay for just how disastrous last year was and the fact that you can't enter 2023 with the same questions or the same just banking on hope for the sake of banking on hope. I think Geno Stone would come in and he would solidify that need of a guy, okay, this this is the explosive play um, eraser, essentially, to make sure that everything is covered up in the back end, keep everything in front of you. There, There is, I guess, the risk of last year being the fact that there was this first you know, full years a starter and yeah. it was such a really yeah. high high you don't know if that's sustainable and everything it's kind of similar to Trey Hendricks in that regard like Trey didn't really break out until his fourth year with, with the Saints he had 13 and a half sacks there's a lot of criticism about you know banking on him you know, being that same guy or even better and obviously that worked out for the Bengals but I think it's a, it's a lot of similar factors here you know Stone was a seventh round pick who just bided his time within a really good defense and once he got his time to shine after a few years of development He's the player that he is now, and he's not the guy that's going to necessarily break the bank. So I think it makes sense financially as well. I, I love it. I mean, I, I love it, and I don't think that he would be a, you know, an absolute, you know, game-breaking type of player. But if you can recreate at the same, if not very close to the level of what we saw in twenty-one and and to a little bit to a lesser extent in twenty-two, uh, in the in the fact that what Bates and Bell gave you. And then, of course, you had Trey Flowers in there as kind of a niche player. You had Mike Hilton. And you can kind of mix and match. Now you've got Dax. You've got, I would assume, a Geno Stone, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, maybe to make room for that or to make that make sense. Maybe that means Nick Nick Scott is is gone at this point. 100%. You know, we, we, yeah. So, um, you know, but if you're able to kind of recreate some semblance of that defensive formula in the secondary with those players – you get further development from Battle. You get further development from Dax Hill. Maybe you slide Dax Hill into a different role if you bring in Geno Stone, that sort of thing. I, I like I like the idea of it. And it's not especially – I mean, yeah, it sounds kind of like a, a lot at $8 million for a guy that got his first real shot last year. I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I think I think that this is a pretty solid move if the Bengals were to make it. And the last thing I want to cover, because I know that the Dax Hill situation or dilemma is definitely going to be a talking point this offseason, just about what they're going to do. Like Duke Tobin was already asked about him. And I think the answer that Duke gave was he's confident in his ability, but there's questions or at least there's uncertainty about what the plan is going forward and the fact that there needs to be a concrete plan for just how to implement him. I think with Dax, if they're committed to him being the free safety and just having that role that he tried and failed last year i think he can eventually get better and he can be okay but if they commit him to being more in the box and potentially even taking over from mike hilton as a slot defender he can be more than okay because right now dax is pretty good close to the line of scrimmage he's not so good the further you move him away yeah and if they continue yeah. to develop him i think he can get he can get better as a deep safety at the, at the geno stone role if you will but i think if you continue to develop him where he's already pretty good he can become potentially great and I think that's the best way to maximize him and utilize him going forward. 
again, if Nick Scott had been better and they weren't doing as much in terms of moving Dax around, I think his 2023 would have been better. And maybe we would be feeling a lot better about where he's going forward in terms of just replacing Jesse Bates. But that didn't happen. And now they're in the bed that they made because they didn't pay both Bates and Bell. And they tried to get cheap with Nick Scott. and It failed miserably. So I think this is the best way to salvage that without also without giving up on Dax Hill entirely. Like Again, like Dax is... I think he's a fine player. I think he he should continue to be featured within the defense, but there has to be a realization about what he does best and where he can develop the best. And I think the best version of him is playing closer to the ball. Well, I think we all have confidence in Lou Anarumo that he'll figure out that formula after a season's worth of tinkering with things. And like we said, there are some, some positives at the end of the year in terms of Jordan battle, uh, proving that he's the part and, and other elements we're going to drop the mic and get out of here i've got a few quick things as my guy uh strawberry ice noted here i'm going to be we're going i'm going back to back on this thing i'm hopping on his show in just a little bit here so uh if you can't get enough of me which i'm sure that is for sure not the case for <laughs> for a lot of people uh, i will be talking about some of this same stuff and other stuff with our guy and go subscribe to that channel for sure uh, I did, by the way, John, I got, look at this. I don't know if you can see it, but, uh, Orange County register 4.6 magnitude earthquake felt. Oh my uh, God. So it was, yeah. So I was, I was accurate about that. Um, and real quick, we, the special guests, I guess we can kind of tease it. We're going to try and get them back more free agency in the draft. I just want to give him a shout out. Anthony Munoz was, oh, I, I asked him late. He was incredibly responsive. He had an insanely busy week. He was at uh, you know, in Vegas and all kinds of different things. He was very responsive, very polite. And it was kind of on me because I asked him late in the week, wasn't sure if he was going to make it. He tried to make it happen today, just couldn't. Um, but he was incredibly gracious and a guy that I didn't want to pester, but um, just a, a really great guy. We'll get him back on again. He's been on our show a few times, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, who the hell are, am I? And he's, you know, being incredibly gracious and nice to me. And, uh, you know, so even though we didn't have him on, would have loved to have had him on today. It was a little bit of a long shot. I uh, just want to say thank you to, to him for not only being on the show in the past, but uh, being willing to come on, even though we couldn't make it happen and being so polite about it going forward. And I mean, as if we would expect anything else from him anyway. Love Anthony, obviously great name. No, a lot of great. Of course, that name. of course. Um, his <laughs> finger still scares the crap out of me. Every time that I see it, I feel so bad for him. Um, but again, great guy, a guy who's not a great guy. And I love to clown. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll take a step back. You know, that scene in Goodwill hunting when, um, um, Robin Williams is talking with Matt Damon on the, on like a park bench and oh, yeah. like, just goes on like a monologue for like five minutes. He like starts Amazing. the whole thing with like, um, oh yeah. Like you, you annoyed me in therapy the other day, but then a, a thought occurred to me and I haven't thought about you since that's kind of how I feel <laughs> yeah. about, um, there's a, there's a Steelers fan on Twitter. His name is like Pickensburg or something. I think oh, a lot of Bengals God. fans know yeah. who he is. God. I haven't thought about him in a long time because I haven't muted and I just, I just, he's just irrelevant to me. But then I saw him pop up on Twitter in the best possible way because he had bet a thousand dollars on Demar Hamlin winning comeback player of the year, and then he added or he tweeted out, "Oh, DraftKings is giving out free money now" because he made this bet in like August. That's when he tweeted it, and then when obviously Demar Hamlin didn't win comeback player of the year. DraftKings tweeted this out at him. And I can't think of anything more humiliating than losing a thousand dollar bet, giving essentially a corporation a thousand dollars and then having that company 
just meme the crap out of you and laugh at you. It couldn't have happened to a better person, and it just made it made my Friday. I yeah, I, lo- I I love that. I didn't see that happen. There's there's that one, and who is the Ravens one that Zim has a big back and forth with all the time? Oh my gosh! And then he he ended up blocking. I, there's just a. It, there are so many out there that are like, Hey, you know, good game. And I, I don't know. I don't get the, quite honestly, I don't get the lack of sportsmanship or the, I don't know. I mean, talking noise over Twitter to people you don't, I, I just, it's not like you suited up and played. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really know <laughs> I, that, that, you know, and I, I think we've been guilty you and I, and all kinds of, you know, fans or whatever have been guilty of this at one point, which is, you know, use the, we, we won, we won. And it's like, really, you, we did nothing that those guys won. Right. Or, you know, I, I contributed nothing. You contributed nothing to the win except us just yakking about it. <laughs> the Royal we, right. I know. I never understood that, especially with, with professional teams. I, I kind of use it with UC because I was in class with some of those guys. Yeah. That, more yeah, of like yeah, a, yeah. 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 So more that like a sense. community, but these guys are pros yeah. and they make money and they don't know who we are. So why, why would I ever say we, I don't know. Well, some of them do. Some of them. Know. I don't know. Actually, sure. I, nobody nobody knows us. Just just only when we bug them to come on the show. That's how they know us. They're like, oh, those those annoying guys. Hey, John, thank you for coming on, my friend. Thank you for preparing that Geno Stone. Great stuff. Go to A to Z Sports as well as CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, Super Bowl coverage, draft coverage, free agency coverage. We're going to have you covered on both of those sites as well as on this podcast. And you can get this show along with the other great ones on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. On the audio side, we got you covered. Cincy Jungle's Facebook, our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that underneath John and that Cincy Jungle icon. Hit the like button. Appreciate all of you. Seeing a lot of familiar names, some new names in the chats as well. Love that. We'll be getting you all kinds of different stuff on this show with free agency, the draft, and everything to get you get you started. We may also have some direct coverage at the Combine from Cincy Jungle and or this show. We'll let you know about that. Take care, everybody. John, you have yourself a good weekend. You start hitting that happy hour, buddy. It's a little early for me, but uh, you start hitting it for me, will you? The big game. The big game. Let's go. The big dance. The big game. visible we're the wireless company with nothing to hide seriously hidden fees we don't have them annual contracts not our thing great wireless on just one line now that's more like it get unlimited 5g data powered by verizon for just 25 dollars a month taxes and fees included that's right 25 a month every month sorry hidden fees we're just not that into you sometimes the choice is just visible switch today at visible.com rate with service on the visible plan for additional terms and network management practices see visible.com